I'm Brooke Lamb. And I'm Lindsay Sampson. And this is Kismet, a podcast exploring the big and small moments in life that change us. We hope you find here an invitation to notice more fully the presence of love in your own life and receive the gifts of the stories of others. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Brooke Lamb, and I am sitting here in my closet by myself today, I'm getting ready to share with you all my kismet story. I was having a hard time coming up with one story to share because I feel like my life has been full of um, so many of these experiences, um, and I think in reality all of our lives are full of these experiences, so it's hard to sort of like narrow down. But there's a couple that come to mind that are small um, little moments, but deeply powerful and significant to me as a person and in my formation and transformation over the last 10 years is I've done a lot of healing work, specifically giving you a little bit of background for the two little stories that I'm going to share here. So I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I was the youngest child of a family of five, two older brothers, two invested, loving, generous parents. And I would say in many ways, in most of the important ways, uh, I was very fortunate, um, very loved, very safe and cared for, supported, had great community, had a lot of protection, just things that now as an adult, I realize are things we deserve, but so many children don't have access to those things. And um, I am very grateful that I had um, the structure that I needed growing up. And part of that structure was uh, we were members of the Church of Christ. Um, generationally, both my parents on both sides go back pretty far with the Church of Christ. Met at the Church of Christ College. Um, so definitely deep, deep roots. The restoration movement is deep in my family. And grew up with a pretty, I would say, small awareness of what different viewpoints were or different kinds of people. And I don't think that that was necessarily intentional, but certainly there was a lot of, you know, we were at the church all the time, heavily involved in church, leading in the church, were involved in church plants as I moved into high school. And so church and Christianity definitely was like the bedrock of my growing up. And, and again, I'm so grateful for this because I do understand that while many people have been very hurt by the church and I, I have been hurt by the church and have certainly some parts of me that have critiques for the nut denomination that I came from, um, and the evangelical church in America, I have plenty of critiques for, um, but I do recognize that there was so much, uh, good there of just, again, community and support and the mind to help others, serving others, um, learning to take seriously the fact that we have privilege and how to use that to to just have a mindset of others-focused. I was a very anxious child. Come to find out at 32 years old, I was diagnosed with ADHD. So looking back on my childhood, a lot of that makes a lot of sense to me because I... Um, just experienced a lot of internal anxiety, hard time making decisions, worrying all the time, um, night nightmares, feeling afraid at night, 
constant sort of self-consciousness, a lot of hard time in relationships because I was so sensitive with rejection, sensitive dysphoria that I would just experience these big feelings that a lot of times other people, it seemed from my perspective, they couldn't make sense of. Got involved in theater, found sort of like a creative space where I felt like others finally understood me, understood more of like my inner world and felt like I fit and also was very good at that and also very high achieving academically. Um, And so got a lot of praise and affirmation for those things, a lot of attention. And I was definitely part of me that felt just addicted to attention. I just wanted so badly to be seen and validated and, and was in those things. And so over time, um, I developed an eating disorder, uh, I think in response to a lot of the inner chaos I experienced and trying to create outer control, trying to make sure that my image still appeared a certain way to people outside of me, certainly looking for doing the quote-unquote right things as opposed to wrong, had a lot of black and white thinking, which I know does did certainly also come from the fact that I was surrounded by theology that was pretty black and white in nature. Came to college, discovered in college that I had no idea sort of who I was or anything. Began really experiencing more of the fact that I was just really suffering. It's very hard for me to feel good about myself, very low self-esteem, very just externalized sense of self. So looking for that approval in order to feel good about myself, whether it was from boyfriends at the time or friends or my still from my family, from my church community, whatever I wanted to be, whatever it was that they wanted me to be so that I would feel, feel loved. And over time, I continued to move through different spaces of my life, learning different lessons, always feeling connected to God, always having a relationship with God that was very central to my life. But a lot of the time it was more focused on, okay, what do I need to be doing? Like I need to be making sure I'm reading my Bible and making sure I'm journaling, making sure I'm going to church, making sure I'm sort of like doing all these things that I know are the right things to do because I want to show God that that I love God, and at the time I was still very concerned about that sense of salvation and like, am I safe? Am I eternally safe? And I have to make sure that I demonstrate my allegiance to God and sort of checking off the list and making sure I'm in the in the safe camp emotionally, spiritually, physically as well. Um, and I think that was also part of my eating disorder was this view of food, certain foods or certain behaviors that was definitely, there was a lot of fat phobia there. There was a lot of, again, black and white sort of good foods, bad foods in my mind that all ultimately came down to this fear of if somebody really sees who I really am, the thoughts or feelings that I truly have inside that I'm not showing anyone, how could they love me? And I felt that way about God too. So I, um, Went to therapy school, which was a large contributing factor, I believe, to more of my unraveling of myself, um, of my unraveling of the ways that I had seen the world, and my beginnings of my image of God beginning to shift. My image of God had been definitely a father image. There had not really been any room growing up for 
the divine feminine, the sacred feminine presence. So a father image, um, loving father, but also one who was like always watching me to make sure I was doing the right thing. And then he would be forgiving, but definitely had to ask for forgiveness. And yes, he quote unquote still loved me, but there was definitely this like disappointment. He's gonna, he's gonna be disappointed in me, he's gonna be angry at me for the things that I do or don't do or say or don't say. If I'm not in alignment with XYZ um, rule, whatever happened to be at the time or that love didn't really mean actual unconditional love all the time. It was conditional and I had felt God's love, like what I see now as God's love for me um, and in what I believe in is its real form in this really truly unconditional, all-encompassing oneness between me and God and the world and everything that God's made. I still had been graced with glimpses of that uh, throughout my life. I may have not used those words for it, but there'd be these just stunning, shining moments where I just felt in my body or in my soul down to my core that something more is happening here beyond even what my Bible or my theology and the ways that we use human language to try to, I don't want to say constrain God, because I don't think that's the intention, but to define God or to be very clear about what God does or doesn't do. And these moments of wonder or mystery or presence, I would say, certainly in some of the harder moments of my younger years, feeling this sense that God was with me and that God saw me and that God cared about um, what I cared about, even if what I cared about was outside of the rules. Like when I was scared, you know, I, I would be told, you know, I need to read my Bible and like, do not be anxious, do not fear, do not worry. And reading these things and feeling like it's not working. Why am I still worried? Um, what's wrong with me that I believe these things are true that you're telling me in the Bible, but it's not actually taking away my fear. And what, what does that say about me? And a feeling in, in some of those moments of knowing deep inside that God is saying, I can just be with you in the fear. And there's nothing wrong with you that you're afraid. Come and tell me about that. Come and whisper in my ear what you're scared of. And we can talk about it as long as you need to talk about it. Wherever you are, we can just be there. The Kismet Podcast is sponsored by Abide Counseling. Abide Counseling is um, actually my therapy practice in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, and now opening a location beginning June 1st in the Berry Hill neighborhood of Nashville, Tennessee. We're a small group practice of like-minded clinicians, therapists who desire to do deep, transformative work with clients who are hoping to really invest in their therapy and are ready to do the deep work, facing their trauma, clearing out their inner experience so that they can really fully receive love and offer love, um, living in harmonious relationship with self and others. So abidecounselors.com is the website if you want to check us out. We appreciate the support of Abide Counseling as the sponsor for this first season of Kismet. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. 
so fast forwarding, one of the biggest ways, and I just have to name this, that um, God has revealed God's love to me in my life um, and bringing me out from fear-based religion into a space of being able to, to really embody and experience being fully loved by God um, and the divinity of myself as a human was having my first child, uh, Ezra. He's five now. I was still very much in my eating disorder. Um, I was still very clouded by anxiety all the time when I had him. And even the way in which we decided to have a child was very demonstrative of the fact that I had a really hard time listening within to myself and to my spirit within and listening to what I need because I knew that my husband was ready to have kids. And so I said, okay, all right, let's just have a kid. You know, it wasn't really yet safe enough for me to slow down and, and really be with myself and name and speak for my own needs and wants. And so I became very depressed uh, when I was pregnant. I was very overwhelmed by it all. Now realizing that I had not realized that I was neurodivergent at the time. Also, life in general had just always felt very overwhelming to me. Really hard time with executive functioning, keeping my house clean, car clean, just things that ADHD um, often brings struggles with. And so add into that a really difficult pregnancy and then a, a new baby. And it was like, here you go. Here's all these responsibilities that you've never had to deal with when you already could hardly keep yourself functioning as an adult. And then (laughs) now here's this tiny human and uh, good luck, you know? So, I mean, I I would say I came the closest I've ever come to feeling like I had a mental breakdown. I was essentially my um, inner world kind of imploded because all of this performance-based validation that I'd always found and sought and sort of hobbled through life, getting enough to get by, doesn't work anymore. Because now you have this tiny person who doesn't give you a gold star. I don't know if anyone's told you if you don't have kids yet. Your children don't give you gold stars when you're a good parent. Uh, they just continue to wake you up four times through the night and scream at you, you know. And <laughs> that was really hard. And then just hormonally, um, I tend to get depression when I'm in postpartum. And so that happened as well. And just like all of these things that I felt like I had lived my life by, again, hobbling through on these crutches of, well, I can just get enough approval or I can just, if I can be good at this, then I can feel a sense of feeling loved or feel good enough or whatever. It all just fell apart. And I remember my son was like six months old and I had still, I had kind of gotten off the postpartum train of, all right, it's been six months. It's time to start trigger warning, by the way, I'm going to speak here about like some body image and eating disorder stuff. So, all right, it's time to start losing the weight. You got to get back on this, on the train. You got to get, you know, fix your body again, Brooke, which I had done many times over the years, gained weight and then diet to lose it, gain weight, diet to lose it. I was about to do it again because that was, again, that was the pattern. That was my protectors that had learned, all right, I need to feel good enough again. I need to feel validated and, and approved of and special. So, time to start a diet. And I looked at my child and I thought, am I really just going to do this for the rest of my life? Like something just clicked inside that, that like these moments that there's a sense in me of there's something more that I could be experiencing, which is this presence and awareness of the gift 
and the just absolute miraculous beauty and magic of this tiny little person who can't do anything for himself and yet who I am totally smitten by just because his very essence is is good but I'm not because I'm looking at my body and trying to make it smaller and something just about like the deep the deep sadness of that and saying I don't know what it is but I don't I know it's not this and I'm finally ready to say like how I need I need help because I need to figure out how to how to not have to live like this and I did. I went and got help. And it was the scariest and hardest thing I think I've ever done. It's when I finally realized that me being this open book person where for years I'd always prided myself on, oh, I'll tell anyone anything. You know, I'm very open, whatever. That's when I learned what actual vulnerability was because it scared me to death to say, I'm not okay and I don't actually know what the path forward is here. And to start admitting and facing some of the places of pain in my story that my body and my nervous system had protected me from and sort of keeping me unaware of how much they had hurt. And this deep pain from from just parts of me throughout my life that had been compartmentalized and shoved in a corner and pushed away so that I could continue to create this image of what I thought the good Christian girl is on the outside. So I just say that because I learned so much just from the very presence of my child coming into my life. His divine, beautiful self just being in my life and all of the ways that that held up this mirror to me both for me to face my pain and face the parts of me that I felt ashamed of, but also because I was looking at him and realizing that the infinite preciousness of this child is also the infinite preciousness of me. Because I am really, in the grand scheme of reality, just a tiny bit older than a baby. (laughs) And I began to start to heal God began to invade my heart with with God's love and the true, undeniable, unconditional nature of it, both for me and for every single thing, every single atom and molecule and cell that exists in all the universe that is being constantly and just amazingly sustained every second, as James Finley says, breath by breath, moment by moment. God's life and love is breathing us into existence, and if it stopped, then so would we. And yet in this moment, we, we, I'm, I haven't stopped, so here I am, and oh, just the beauty of it. Fast forward a bit to after we uh, kind of got our feet under us after having Ezra, which took a while. Um, because it was such a difficult transition for me and took me a while to really process a lot of what, what had happened. We decided that we wanted to have another child, which was a big deal for me. And I felt like it was this really big leap of faith for me to say, 
okay, this thing that uh, was wonderful and amazing, but also really freaking hard. Um, yeah, I'm going to do that again. Uh, and I'm going to just throw my life back into total <laughs> uncontrolled chaos, which is what happens when you have a child. I really felt like God, God and I had a lot of conversations about that and that I was trusting God with with that and being open to, you know, what more life in our family could look like. So uh, we had conceived Ezra on like literally the first try when we uh, had stopped preventing pregnancies. So naively, I sort of assumed that that was going to happen again the second time, which PSA, that is not how fertility works. And <laughs> if you expect it to, um, like me, even though it's natural to do so, it was really hard. Uh, because I actually ended up having two very early pregnancy losses called chemical pregnancies to where I had basically just found out that I would have been pregnant, was pregnant, um, and then pretty quickly started what someone else might just mistake as a period, but I knew that I had been pregnant. So really devastated by those losses and felt sort of confused. Like I thought that you, God, and I had been like really working on this thing and me being open to it. And then here we are. And now this is happening. And sometimes when you, you just feel betrayed, you know, even though we know on, on the macro level that that's not what's happening, it, it felt like that to me. And it just felt very confusing and scary and just grief, man. There's just a lot of grief. So after the second one of those, I um, was just feeling a lot of despair. Driving home from work, I was working in perinatal mental health at the time, so I was like going to work and talking to women about their babies, and then also realizing that I had lost what would have been my baby and very much wanted that baby, and it was just, it was a lot. So a lot of sadness and, and hopelessness and was driving home. I was crying in the car and I was just praying, like, would you just, would you throw me a bone, God? Like, would you just, I need to see you. I need to know that you hear me, that I'm not alone and that, that I'm held in, in this. And driving home, it had been raining and there was just a massive rainbow in the sky right over my house. And I saw it and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I don't know if you know, but babies that you have after loss are, uh, we call them rainbow babies. And it felt to me like, wow, this is, this is so beautiful. But then I kept driving and the closer I got to home, it wasn't, it wasn't moving. Like I sort of expected that, you know, as you move perspective with a rainbow, that it would go away or that it would move outside of my line of vision. But as I got closer to my house, it just stayed there and it got closer and closer to where when I got to my house, it was perfectly visible from my front porch. And it just felt to me like God and, and the universe and life and love, whatever it is, like that the love that is there was, was just saying, I see you. And you're not alone. And what was so powerful to me as I sat there just like weeping in amazement and, and just divine joy and love was not that I knew. And I, and I felt this in my heart. It wasn't, oh, and now I'm going to give you a baby. Because I think sometimes we take that story from the Bible and we 
we want to spiritually bypass people's pain and be like, look, there's a rainbow. Everything's going to be fine. Even though you just experienced this horrific loss or this terrible event, or even though you're in the midst of a, a lot of death and suffering, look, it'll, it'll be fine. This felt like God was coming near to me and saying, I know it's not fine. And whether or not you end up having more children, I see you and I love you. And that to me meant more than anything because that's the thing that we know is constant. Our circumstances change. Like I've quoted before, we pray to God to protect us from circumstances and often that doesn't happen, but yet somehow we are mysteriously sustained in all things and offered love and safety inside with God in the true nature of things. We are more safe than we could ever imagine. And that just felt like such a, from the outside, you know, someone else might not interpret it as a kismet moment, but to me it was, it just was so, it felt so personal. It felt like, man, I, I'm over here feeling so small and how could, maybe God doesn't even hear me, you know? And then that happened and it's like, oh no, okay. <laughs> That's why I love the verse um, in Genesis with, with Hagar when she's been horribly abused and raped and, I mean, just horrible treatment of her by Sarah and Abraham. And she runs away and has this moment with God in the desert before she comes back and she says, you are the God who sees me. A woman, a slave woman, who's been treated like absolute nothing by the people in power in her community and she knew that God saw her and cared about her experience. If you're enjoying the content that you're hearing here today, we would absolutely love the privilege to be able to make more podcasts for you and create more content that draws you deeper into relationship with yourself and more awareness of love in your life. Um, and if these stories and these conversations are doing that for you, please go to our, our website, kismet-podcast.com slash support. It would mean the world to us for you to rate and review us. There also is a place you can donate to a fund that we have purely so that we can cover our operating costs. Also just want to um, acknowledge the people who you don't see or hear rather who helped create these podcasts. Ben Oksher is um, our editor. He's done a, just a fantastic job of um, helping everything flow together and sound a lot more seamless to you all than it did to us when we originally recorded it. Ariana Evans, who lent me all of her <laughs> equipment as I was beginning to figure out how to even do this podcasting thing. It's been such a learning adventure. My husband, Jake, who has supported us in uh, allowing us to use this closet. <laughs> Literally, we record in our closet in our bedroom at our house. So, <laughs> And just his support and all of our friends and family who have been excited for us as we've done this fun, creative thing. So if you feel so led, if you feel inclined, if this has been a positive place for you and you want to contribute to creating more, uh, you can do that on our website on the support Kismet link. Thank you so much for listening. So that's one. And then the next one that I'll share, because I 
I referenced in our recording with uh, Andrew Mc McFadden Ketchum, Ketchum, excuse me, that uh, I would share my tattoo story of my on my left arm, and it's uh, it's of a sparrow that has a hole in its heart, and there's a vine that's winding its way through the hole. Last fall, I found out that uh, my family has a heart gene that uh, basically predisposes a lot of us to cardiomyopathy, which just means a weak heart. And so there are a lot of just issues, conditions, illnesses of the heart that result in heart failure that can develop um, and have developed in many people in my family. And I found out that I also have that gene, uh, which is still something that I think in for the rest of my life, I think I'm probably going to wrestle with not living in a place of fear about that, but at the same time, awareness that this is something that is likely coming for me. My heart already isn't as strong as they would expect it to be um, for a 32-year-old woman. So there's sadness there. There is fear there. Mostly, I think my concern is around the mother part of me that really just doesn't want to traumatize my children by leaving them too soon or traumatize my husband by doing that and recognizing that there is a very real um, weakness in my body and a very, very important part of my body that may either result in quite a bit of suffering for me over time um, or, you know, potentially medications, procedures, things like pacemakers, ICDs, even transplants, things like that, or um, certainly earlier death than most of us would prefer. Um, it is possible. And I know it's always possible. I know you could walk outside and like get hit by a lightning bolt. I get that. But getting diagnosed with a chronic genetic medical condition that doesn't have a cure um, is just really bringing up a lot of grief for me. And I was listening to my podcast that I love, uh, Turning to the Mystics with James Finley. And the co-host of that show, her name is Kirsten Oates, and she was talking about an experience she had. She was sharing a moment where she encountered God's presence. Um, it's actually a big part of the idea for this podcast came from this moment, listening to Kirsten share her story about when her sister um, tragically died pretty young of a heart. Something was happen happening with her heart. I'm not sure what it was, but... Um, she describes her experience of being in the hospital room and being there with her uh, nephew as essentially as her sister lay dying and having this very powerful moment with God and feeling this sense that her sister was basically not dying yet because she needed to know that uh, Kirsten was going to take care of her nephew and love him as her own son, like love him in that same way. And the story was powerful. It was very moving, but um, it just felt really interesting to me that the timing of my listening to this was, I'm listening to this, we're talking about the mystics, we're not talking anything about hearts and heart conditions and dying prematurely and fear about your kids and all these things that I was already wrestling with. And then here's this story of, of another person encountering the love of God in this very visceral and powerful way. And she describes this overwhelming sense of God's love for her nephew coming into her, that she then has sort of taken her nephew under her wing as to be a, essentially a surrogate mother figure for him since his mother is not here anymore. And it just 
my heart and my, my chest just filled up with this overwhelming sense of gratitude and joy because I knew that God was saying to me, I love your children <laughs> like so much and they're not alone with or without you. They're not alone. And you don't have to worry because I see them and I see you and I see these secret fears that you hold inside your heart and I care about them. And I'm, I'm feeling it right now. I'm feeling my heart just like swell up within me with just this gratitude of such a, you know, from the outside, I'm just standing in the shower listening to, to a podcast. But what was happening to me was such a great overwhelming sense of peace um, of being able to trust that ultimately that my children have the light of God within each of them and that God loves them more than I could and that they are not alone in the most powerful and true sense of that statement, just as I am the same. And it doesn't day to day, right? It doesn't like take away all the fears. Like I still have concerns and things like that. But again, we're talking about living in sort of this like dual reality of being able to hold those fears of the parts of us and really witness them with love at the same time also being very present to and aware of this deeper ground reality of things. That moment really impacted me and it actually also flowed into my sense of, man, just hearing this other woman's kismet experience created one for me. And so my, my hope and my deep desire in making this podcast and the, and the time and energy we put into to doing this is that somebody out there hears one of these stories and has the same experience. Because our healing is layered and it is interconnected. And as I heal, you heal. And as you heal, your neighbor heals. And as your neighbor heals, the community heals and the, and the world heals. Like we're drawn together into this awakening and awakening calls out awakening in other other hearts. And so I hope that wherever you are listening to this, that you would know that things like this are happening all the time, all around you, for people you're walking by on the street who you never see again, for people across the world on the opposite side of the globe who you will never meet, for people who've lived hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years before us and will live thousands of years after us and life is bursting forth all around you and I hope that your eyes you can see with your eyes that you have and you can hear with the ears that you have how loved you are how truly infinitely precious and good and seen and held you are. Thank you for listening to my story today and we will see you next week. This must be the-